I invite you, if you will, to join me in Luke chapter 8. Today our text is verses 16 through 21 in a message entitled, The Effects of the Word of God. Jesus told the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils in the verses preceding this in verses 1 through 15. And in it, he presented principles for growth in the kingdom of God. Growth requires seed sowing. He said a sower went out to sow. Growth requires sowing the right seed. And Jesus identified the right seed as the word of God. Growth also requires the right soil. There's the wayside soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and then ultimately the kind of soil that we want to be, the good soil. God calls us to hear his word and to hold on to it. And as we hear his word and hold on to it, we endure and we bear fruit. Our responsibility in the kingdom is to sow the seed, and God takes that seed and he germinates it, brings it from death to life, and then he brings about the growth in people's lives and in his kingdom. We're moving toward an ultimate time of the culmination of the kingdom of God, but in the meantime, people are coming to faith, they're being added to the family, the kingdom is growing, and we're having that vision of being gathered around the throne of God in heaven someday with people from every tribe tongue, and nation, bringing praise and glory to the Lamb. In our passage today, Jesus continues the theme with a short parable in these verses that follow. And then he gives us a message at the end of it that tells us something about who is truly a part of the family of God. So I want you to think about this short parable as a logical extension of the parable of the sower. And I begin reading here in Luke chapter 8 and verse 16. Jesus said, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Verse 19, then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told by some, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, verse 21, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. The first effect of the word of God that I want to show you in this passage is that the word of God lights the way. It lights the way. In verse 16, he said, No one, when he's lit a lamp, is going to cover it with a vessel or put it under the bed but it's going to set it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. Uh, 
lamps uh, and lights in those days were made very simply, very basically out of clay. They were made in order to hold oil, and there was a wick that was placed in them. And these household lamps were typically fairly small because they would be made to fit into the palm of your hand or certainly holding on without being something large and cumbersome. If you needed to use it, uh, perhaps in the middle of the night so that you not would run into something in your house on the way to take care of something, uh, you could do that. Or when it got dark enough that you couldn't see the table where you ate, you could take that lamp and you could place it on the lampstand and it would illuminate everything that was around it. In fact, there was a specific type of lamp that was called a Herodian lamp and it had a distinct shape. It was made on a potter's wheel and it was intended to be used to light the way. The point here is straightforward in what Jesus is teaching. When it's dark enough to light a lamp, you would set it up so that it would light everything around it. If you're going to light a lamp, it's intended to illuminate. It's intended to show what it needs to illuminate. It's not meant to be hidden. It's not meant to be covered. It's not meant to be concealed. The light represents the Word of God and the message that Jesus had been proclaiming about the kingdom of God. Some will hear it and receive it by faith and gladly understand it, and others will not. This message of the kingdom is not to be covered, but to be revealed and proclaimed. And as I think about the importance of the word of God as a light, a passage of scripture that comes to mind to me is from the Old Testament in Psalm 119. You may have portions of that memorized and they, it would be familiar to you. But in Psalm 119, we learn that the Word of God lights the way in our walk with God. In verses 105 and 106, he says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now think about a light that you would use today, even in modern times, if you're going out and it's dark and you have a light that you're going to use, a flashlight or maybe even a lantern if you're camping or something. And that light is intended to give you illumination for the steps that are in front of you. It doesn't go way beyond that, typically. It's just the steps that are in front of you. Or if you have a good light that's up on a building, the light that is up on the building, it's not going to light everything that is dark, but it's going to light whatever it is that is nearby in order for you to be able to see. Now, obviously, in the light of the Word of God, we have illumination on things that are coming way out in the future, even eternal matters. But in the day-to-day -day living of life, we have what we need to be able to see the way that we're walking in. And the Word of God has the effect of lighting the path and being a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path so that we can walk with God. The psalmist takes a, a second step, though, in that passage in the very next verse, in verse 107, and he tells us that the Word of God lights the way in our weaknesses. In verse 107, he says, I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your way. 
when I read the Bible and particularly the experience of the Psalms and the psalmist, the theme of affliction and weakness is prevalent. It's found over and over again. We live in this sin-fallen world that is broken, and we are faced with weaknesses and afflictions all the time. And this very experience that we find ourselves in right now, in this moment where we're not sure exactly what's coming next, and we're trying to figure out how to respond to it, and what it means for us as individuals, and how we operate as an organization, all these things, it points us to the fact that this world is filled with afflictions. It's filled with with weaknesses and problems. But the truth of Scripture that is such an encouragement to us is that when we are weak, God is strong. When we are hurting and broken, God is there for the healing. And when we look to His Word, we find the grace that we need in order to sustain us no matter what the situation is. So I say to you today, whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever worry or concern or anxiety it is that you're dealing with, whatever real-time problem it is that you have on your hands, don't go further into the darkness. Step into the light and say, God, I need your help. I need your guidance. I need your encouragement. I need your grace. And then the psalmist tells us in Psalm 119 and verse 108 that the Word of God lights the way in our worship. In fact, the Bible says, Except I pray the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. So isn't it an interesting progression just in those few short verses that he approaches God and he says, God, your word is a lamp unto my feet and it is a light unto my path. But the reality is I'm living in the midst of a lot of afflictions. These are some hard circumstances that I find myself in. And I need your grace to see me through. But in the midst of it all, I'm going to bring an offering of praise to you. I'm going to bring an attitude of worship to you because I believe that you're worthy. You see, the only kind of worship that is acceptable to God is worship that is offered in spirit and in truth. You remember the Old Testament example of Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus and how they brought uh, fire into the temple of God for sacrifice? The Bible doesn't tell us exactly why it was not accepted to God, but acceptable to God. But at any rate, it was something that was unauthorized by God. And they came in a way that was not pleasing to God. And as a result of it, they suffered the judgment of God. And that reminds us that the only way that we come to God is the way that God has prescribed. He brings us into his presence through his son. And we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We are sealed for the day of redemption. And we want to be consistent with the word, with the spirit, and with the gospel as we worship him. Now, if the message of the kingdom is not to be covered, but is to be revealed and proclaimed, let me ask you the question, why would anybody consider covering it rather than revealing it or proclaiming it? In other words, if this message of the kingdom is to illuminate the way, to show us what our walk with God should be, to help us in our time of weakness, and to prescribe our way of worship, then why would we shrink back at times 
and not share it as we should. If we're messengers of the kingdom, if we are sowers of the seed, why would we not share it as we should? I think sometimes it's because of fear of unbelief. We think that uh, people aren't going to believe what we have to say, and that's probably true. Many won't believe it. They won't accept it. But how people respond to the word is not your responsibility. It's not my responsibility. Our responsibility is to be sowers of the seed. Sometimes we're concerned about a fear of rejection. It's not that we don't believe that they'll believe the word. We're concerned they're going to reject us or think we're foolish and not want anything to do with us. Or it could be our fear even of persecution in places around the world. People who call on the name of Christ and sow the seed of the word place themselves in great danger. And we're reminded of the privilege we have, even with all the problems that we have around us, to still have freedom to share the word and to sow the seed. So the word of God lights the way. Now we'd all say amen to that first point. But I got news for you. The next one is a little bit more difficult because the word of God looks into the heart. This is the second effect. The word of God looks into the heart. Notice what he says in verse 17. For nothing is a secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Now, I think this verse and this context is speaking of two points of application. One is the broad application to the kingdom of God in that the parable of the sower shares the secrets of the kingdom. Remember we talked about the mysterion, what had been, un- had, what had been covered was now uncovered. Uh, we have progressive revelation in the Bible from the first promise of the Messiah in Genesis 3 and verse 15. And so he comes fully on the scene in his birth and then in the announcement of his coming by the forerunner, John the Baptist, and then the public proclamation of his ministry. So what had been covered became uncovered. Uh, but in a sense, this also has a very direct personal application. And the very direct personal application is that the Word of God looks into our hearts and reveals to us problem spots that we need to change. In other words, His Word exposes what needs to be changed, but thankfully He also equips us to change and He empowers us to be able to do so. We may try to conceal things and cover them up, but God will uncover them and he will bring everything out into the open. Listen to what Luke chapter 12 and verse 2 says, for there's nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light and what you've spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Or then 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, the words of Paul, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now I want to caution us here that what Jesus is speaking of is not our salvation in the sense that 
our words are going to potentially remove us from our salvation or take us out of the grace of God. I think what's being referred to is something that is in terms of both our relationship with God and our reward. Let me explain. If we are in Christ and if he paid the penalty for our sins in his substitutionary death on the cross, if the Lamb of God made atonement for our sins, then to say that there is any other way to be pleasing to God or to be acceptable to God in his sight uh, would be to say that the cross was of no effect, that somehow we began in grace, but now we have to continue in works. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. I think what he's referring to is our relationship with God because our words reveal our heart. And they show, number one, whether or not we have a relationship with God. And then our words affect our relationship with him. So if there are things that are, we are saying and things that are hidden and things that are behind the scenes that aren't right with God, it's going to quench and grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And God is going to uncover it for our good and for his glory. I think it also has to do with our eternal rewards. And I don't have time to really unpack it at the moment. But if you think about the judgment seat of Christ and the importance of our being faithful and being good stewards with what God has entrusted to us, we recognize there is a day of accountability coming for every believer. We'll be rewarded based on our stewardship of the treasures God has entrusted to us, the opportunities that God has placed before us, the gifts that God has entrusted to us. We'll be accountable to God for that, not in terms of our salvation, but in terms of our eternal responsibility in the kingdom and we ought to take that matter very seriously but this is a an important principle i do not want you to miss the principle is what you cover god will uncover and what you confess god will forgive and he will cover by the blood of jesus so we don't only come to God by faith, but we live by faith. We continue that attitude of repentance before God because we want to live holy lives. We want to honor God with our entire being, and we don't want anything to hinder us in our fellowship or our usefulness to God. So walking in the light means that we're learning to be transparent. It means when we confess our sin to God rather than hide it, we will find forgiveness and cleansing and peace. But when we try to hide our sin from God, it will maintain a hold on us. And when we confess that sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Note here that the warning is to take care then how you hear. And Jesus established the norms of hearing by which we can identify authentic discipleship in verses 11 through 15. Now he continues alongside 
uh, those same ideas by insisting that authentic or inauthentic discipleship is demonstrated by our actions. And he says you need to listen well. I love the story of uh, Eric Weimeyer, who is sight impaired, yet he was able to reach the peak of Mount Everest. Suffering from a degenerative eye disease, he lost his sight when he was only 13 years old, but that didn't stop him. And on a mountain where 90% of the climbers never make it to the top, and dozens upon dozens have died uh, since they've been keeping records, Eric succeeded. And the reason that he succeeded, they say, is because he learned to listen well. He listened to the little bell that was tied to the back of the Sherpa who was in front of him, leading him up the mountain so that he would know what direction to go in. He listened to the voice of his teammates who would shout back to him, there's a death fall two feet to your right. So he would know that he needed to edge to the left and he would know what direction to go in. He listened to the sound of his pick jabbing the ice so that he would know whether or not the ice was safe to cross. You see, he was able to make it on a perilous journey because he listened well. He prepared himself to make that journey. And while it is a perilous physical journey to try to summit Mount Everest, I've got news for you. It is also a perilous journey that we find ourselves in in this world. We find ourselves in the midst of spiritual darkness and problems and challenges all around us. And if we don't listen well, we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble. So I ask you today, who are you listening to? Are you listening to voices from the outside, perhaps? Only listen to those voices if they're consistent with the Word of God. Are you listening to friends who are surrounding you? Only listen to those voices if they're consistent with the Word of God. Are you listening to your own conscience? Only listen if your conscience is consistent with the Word of God. Because you want to be sure that you are listening to the right instruction because the Word is compelling us to grow to be more like Jesus. And as we grow to be more like Jesus, God is using that Word. And He's looking into our hearts. And He's leading the way. And then the last effect that I want to share from this passage of the Word of God is that the Word of God leads to faithfulness. It leads to faithfulness. The story turns in verse 19. Jesus' mother and brothers show up. Uh, The large crowd would have made it difficult to get access to Jesus. I want you to think just for a moment. Jesus has been teaching and healing and and people are very interested in what he's got to say and what he's able to do. And they're leaning in. This is no moment of social distancing. There are people crowded all around him wanting to find out what's going on. And now his blood relatives are on the scene. He said, where did these brothers come from? They were brothers that were born to Joseph and Mary after Jesus was born. There's no indication in the scripture that there was not a natural progression of that family after the supernatural birth of Jesus uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit. And now we have his mother and his brothers coming, and Jesus has something to say about it. Mark chapter 3 provides some details that Luke does not include here in this passage. And in verse 32, it indicates that 
uh, someone came to him, just as Luke tells us as well, and that his mother and his brothers were outside seeking him. And rather than going to meet them in their request, he asked them a question. And this is the part that is in Mark's gospel that we don't find here. And the question that he asked was, who are my mother and my brothers? Now that sounds kind of harsh. And in a culture where physical family was preeminent, that would have seemed almost shocking. Jesus always had a purpose for his questions. Jesus always was making a spiritual point, even if it seemed like it was a natural question. He intended his words to shock them. Now, please note here, Jesus did not negate the importance of relationship with blood family. Instead, he is positively stating his affiliation with those who hear and put the word of God into practice. And he said, this is my family. And the point that he makes is that spiritual family ultimately supersedes physical family. Now, ideally, you want your physical family to also be a part of your spiritual family so that the two are one and the same. And there may be some people here in the room or listening who are praying even now because you've got physical family that's not yet a part of your spiritual family. You want those to be one in the same, at least in part. So these ties are important. And certainly to Jesus, his family was important. His relationship with his mother was a close one. Even when he was enduring the agony of the cross, he was concerned with the care of his mother. In fact, both his mother and his brothers apparently came to believe in him as their savior let me give you a reference point here in acts chapter 1 and verse 14 it says all these uh, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and mary the mother of jesus and his brothers now here's what jesus says in verse 21 of luke chapter 8 my mother and brothers are these who hear the word of god and do it one commentator put it this way, those who not only listen to the word of God, but also actually obey it are to be considered Christ's mother and brothers. All who have taken to heart the messages of Jesus and have translated them into lives that are rich in fruits to God's glory belong to the same spiritual family, a family far more important than any merely physical family could hope to be. So let me state it this way. We are born into a physical family. We are born again into a spiritual family. We are born into a physical family. We are born again into a spiritual family. And the evidence of our having been born again into a spiritual family is that we hear the word of God and we do it. We obey. Now let's look again at verse 18 and then I'm going to close. In verse 18, he says, Therefore take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Just a parenthetical note here on the second part of verse 18. 
I think that flows with the previous idea that I presented to you that Jesus is not talking about somehow working for your salvation or coming in and out of the faith because he refers to people who seem to have and it's yet taken, not who genuinely had. And the message for us is take heed how you hear. How do you do that? You prepare your heart to focus. You pray for understanding from the Holy Spirit. You examine what you're hearing to know whether or not it's true. You don't just take at face value anything that anybody says to you. You always filter it through the Word of God and you ask, is this consistent? Is this accurate with what God has said? Because God is the authority. His Word is truth and He brings it to bear on our lives. And you ask the questions when you read the Word and you hear the Word. What does it say? It can't say what it never said. What does it mean? It can't mean what it never meant. And then how does it apply to my life as I serve and follow Jesus? And here's the beauty of it all. When you receive by faith what God has for you, more will be given to you. And He'll bless you. And your spiritual growth will increase. If you've been a Christian any time at all, you could give testimony to this. This is true today. That as you've leaned into the Word and you've prayed and you've asked the Lord to grow you and teach you more about Him, your hunger for Him, it grows, it expands. Because you want to know more and more about who God is and what He's done and how to faithfully serve Him in His kingdom. And that's the blessing of God's grace. Let's bow our heads together for just a moment. Uh, Pastor Eric is going to come and uh, sing a, a couple of verses of a closing song. And then I'm going to come back and uh, give you closing instruction on your dismissal. But I want us to reflect for just a moment on this word that we have just heard and what it means to us. Is the word of God lighting your pathway, showing you where to walk? Is he your guide? God is a reliable guide. His word is true. Are you living in such a way that you're listening to and receiving that word in humility and experiencing that steady growth? It's not without challenges, but it's a steady growth. Is that the testimony of your life? I invite you today, if you don't have a relationship with God in Jesus Christ, today would be the day to turn from your sins and turn to the Savior. He came and fulfilled the law and was crucified for your sins. He was buried and raised from the dead. Now he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for the saints and receiving sinners who come to him. Could today be the day that you enter into the kingdom of God? Could today be the day that your life changes for all of eternity? This is the call of the gospel, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. It's his call on your life, if you'll trust him. Christian, what area do you need 
God's sustaining grace in? Would you ask him for it right now? Would you lean into him like never before? His grace is sufficient. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us today. Thank you for your word, for your son, for your spirit. I pray that we'd be good listeners, and that the word of God would have a continued effect in our lives. Thank you for grace. It is not what we do, but it is what Christ has done. And now we live in light of that, not trying harder and doing better, but resting in you and moving forward in faithfulness. So Lord, use this word in our lives as we desire to honor and glorify King Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.